0: Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here Here we go.
1: go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie. How are we this week? We're good. How are you this
0: week, more importantly?
1: I'm pretty good, actually. I'm feeling feeling like I'm definitely on the improve. The trajectory is heading upwards. I am feeling the joy in things. I am actually enjoying my children's company again. I guess if anyone missed anything, or if this is your first episode you've listened to, I'm pregnant. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) People are like, what's going on? What's going on now? So I'm about 15 nearly weeks i think that now i'm starting to feel better now when i have really low like it's not so much low mood anymore it's more just like physically start vomiting or just i'm flat as attack it's hard to not be like disappointed because i'm like oh i'm over the hump like we're on here so i'm just trying to remind myself that like the general momentum is heading upwards so be happy about that and you're gonna have like pits and troughs and dips as we go. So to just kind of embrace them. So yeah, there's still afternoons where I have to say to Nick, like, I just need to go lie down for 30 oh, minutes and I'll, and that's going to go on for the next <laughs> 10 years. You know, I'll be back in 30 minutes. I just need to like recharge if I'm going to get through the totally. rest of this evening, you know, and some afternoons where I've in a heap and end up having four vomits but all in all we're feeling good Good. and I just want to say like it has been such a weight off in terms of announcing in terms of just like feeling like I can be myself and the feedback from the Pregnancy Diaries episode has been on one hand really really heartwarming because so many people have said like thank Mm -hmm. you I resonated with this so much etc, etc. But also really sad on the other hand, because it has taught me just how many people are going through this or have been through this and feel alone, isolated. Like they're the only ones that have had these experiences. Like I've had so many women write in saying, oh, my gosh, I literally thought this was just me who felt this way during pregnancy. And I was like, at least I'm lucky enough to have other women around me. Like, you know, my best friend is literally going through it at the same time. She's due nine days before that me. That is insane. and she- could literally give birth. Holding hands. (laughs) How (laughs) romantic. How romantic. And like as much as she wasn't so much vomiting, she definitely has been having the all-day sickness, the Mm. really low moods. And so as much as I don't wish that upon her, it's been so nice to go through it together, the amount of ugly crying times we've had with each mm. other. And I, so I do look back on that and I'm like, gosh, I'm lucky to have had other people around me who have felt this way to remind me that it's shit, mm. but it's also not just you. So, yeah, I, I thank you so much for all the feedback from the episode and, God, I'm glad we recorded it as we went. Absolutely. And there was a lot of people asking if we could continue
0: the pregnancy diaries for a second trimester and we will be doing that. So yeah. stay I tuned. I worry the
1: second trimester is going to get really boring. Well, though. I was like thinking, do
0: we do it week by week or do we literally just do it when you have like some eventful things going on? Because <laughs> well, I hope there's like, like, yeah, no
1: events. Yeah, yeah. It might be a 10-minute episode uh, of like, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good, bit tired. Oh, well, Yeah, I'm all right, I'm a bit tired. That's reality. Anyway, I would be more than happy to do a boring episode like rather than have to go through oh, a whole bunch of shit. 100%, so.
0: 100%. Now, how's your week been? It's been good. I'm just trying to think about it because... I've been so, like, whirlwinded with the potty and
1: everyone congratulating, which has been beautiful. i just been um, so used to it being about me. Yeah. No. Um, mate, you last minute have booked a trip to Fiji and you're off this Saturday. Yeah, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Hi's, what is you? No hi's. one's thinking about Jay. Hi's,
0: hi, yeah, I'm sick of everyone, so I'm leaving the country. No, Hi's is that my husband and I? We really, really wanted to go on a holiday, preferably without children. Like the actual real fact is that we have three kids and we can't <laughs> handball them around, so we're taking them with us. We're going to Fiji. We had Oh, you'll
1: barely know they're there. I know.
0: We had such a successful snow trip when we went that we feel like they're all at a really good age and we all got along relatively well that we're gonna have a lot of
1: fun. I can't wait to hear. Oh yeah. And the
0: fun thing about this is that Sophie and Nick are going with their girls. Like we'll actually be on the same island for a day. We won't be able to see each other, but we'll be
1: both on the island. We'll be both in Fiji time for one night together. Which is hilarious. So, yeah, we'll have... Do you know I'm a bit dirty on you? Why? Because like I I'm having a third girl, so it looks like I'm copying you in that respect. I've oh, had yeah, this trip you, planned you for You did months. plan that third daughter. Yeah, I did, just because I wanted to be just like you. I have had this trip to Fiji planned for months. You buddy swan on in two weeks before I'm going and not only booked the same trip, but you booked to go the week before I go. Don't worry, so Sophie. So now it's declared- going to look like I'm copying you again. I booked it first. <laughs> Sophie,
0: don't worry. <laughs> The content will be shit. I'm going to actually take time off my phone and relax. You can have it all. Yes. You can literally tell yes, everyone. that's the only
1: reason I'm going.
0: You can tell everyone that you planned it first. I did. And you're the only one that's ever gone <laughs> to Fiji, ever. Ever. But, um, no, we're so psyched to go. And, look, knowing our luck, we might I have a few it. hiccups. But I'm going to touch wood and hope. No, but I feel like I need to be – I like to lower my expectations because yeah. then I have a really good <laughs> (laughs) time when I'm away. So that's my high and my low of the week is stressing about not getting COVID before we go to Fiji. Yeah. So that's it. I've got, and I'm glad we booked early because we don't have to stress, like we've only got this time to stress. Mm. So literally we've got five days to to make sure we don't get COVID and then we are on a holiday. Jade
1: doesn't pre-plan any of her trips because it's good for her mental health to only have five days to worry about the swabbing.
0: Oh, my God. Anyway, we're excited. You're excited.
1: Do you have any lows? I do have one low, actually, and it's kind of funny in hindsight, but it was really sad at the time. So obviously because I haven't been you know, at my prime for a while (laughs) and Goldie has been like on and off unwell for about four to six weeks. Just, you know, every virus Mm -hmm. you can think of other than the vid has come through our household. And she just keeps getting like, you know, she'll be sick Seriously, touch wood. Touch wood.
0: you got two weeks. So I've go. got two weeks until
1: i got to go. You know, she'll be sick for a couple of days, she'll be better for a couple of days, she'll be sick for a couple of days, blah, 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 it goes on and on and on. And when she's unwell, she wakes up heaps at mm. night. So Nick has just been kind of like dealing with that because... I've been going to bed at like seven o'clock and have to continue to sleep through to the next morning if I'm going to survive. The other night he just goes to me so, like I was starting to feel better and he goes, Soph, I, I can't, I need a night off from waking up with her. Like I just, I'm at a wit's end. And I said, yeah, 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 that's fine. Anyway, got to bedtime I lay down with Poppy for Poppy to go to sleep. He lay down with Goldie for Goldie to go to sleep. And then once they were both asleep, you know, he went and watched TV or whatever. And I was like, cool, I'll just get straight into bed with her, lay with her. She like kept waking up and grizzling, like what felt like every 20 minutes, like, "Ah," and I like give her a pat and pat her and, "Ah," (laughs) "Ah," "Ah," and pat her till she went back to sleep. And then, at 2 30 in the morning was the first time she like properly woke up. So she was like really restless and waking and going back to sleep and waking and going back to sleep all night. But 2 30 was the first time she properly woke up. And she looked at me, literally looked at me like I was a fucking stranger. Because it, it wasn't Nick. She so the whole time she thought Nick's been yeah, patting yeah, her. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's me. You've been waking up, love, not your dad. Anyway, looks at me and just screams and goes, I want daddy, I want daddy. And you went, what a shame, (laughs) Nick. No, like I'm trying to, I'm like, I know you do, but you've got mum tonight, like da 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 -da. This is at 2.30. This is 2.30 in the morning, screaming at the top of her voice, hysterical. She scoots herself backwards off the bed, like onto her feet, refuses to get back onto the bed. She's just on the ground having a full-blown tantrum screaming, I don't want mummy, I want daddy. So what am I doing? I'm a blubbering fucking mess because I'm like my child doesn't love me anymore. I've been sick (laughs) too long. I've been absent in her life too long. She doesn't love me. She needs Nick. And then I felt like guilty because I was like Nick just wanted one night off and here I am like my child doesn't even want me in the bed. Anyway, so, so Nick had to come in and he goes, oh, just so you know, like Poppy woke up at one point and was like, oh, I want mummy. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but did she just roll over and go back to sleep? He's like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, not the same. So her sleep's on the improve now because she's getting better. We had to pop her on some antibiotics. But, um, yeah, anyway, that was really soul crushing. Yeah,
0: that is soul crushing. And I feel
1: like because Nick and I, I, I kind of.
0: I honestly don't know how I would feel if if. <laughs> Are you being sarcastic? <laughs> Genuinely for oh. me, if, if Yumi turned to me and said, I want dad,
1: I would be like, you beauty. Yeah, but think about the last few months I've had know, where I've already pregnant. had the guilt of not yeah. being present and then you're literally trying to do your partner a solid for one night yeah. because he's basically been parenting by yeah. himself for months and you can't even get your child to sleep because they're on the floor. They won't even get into the same yeah, bed as you. True. That is true. So I was crying. No, I feel for you. I do feel for you in that situation. You don't. <laughs> I,
0: uh, I would literally just be like, oh, well, it doesn't work. Let's go back to the way we were. You can
1: sleep. Literally. Well, the next night I was just like to Nick, I was like, soz, hon. I tried. Yeah. I tried. It caused, more, it caused more issues than it was worth. sos was... Anyway, yeah, I think Nick, Goldie and I might need a little bit more one-on-one time. <laughs> <laughs> Some bonding. <laughs> do you have a rude or fabulous? Yeah, I do have a rude or fabulous that was sent in. I'll be interested to hear what you think Okay. Of Am I going to be outraged? I don't know. We'll see. Okay. Rude or fabulous? I'm currently overseas on holidays and the other afternoon I was laying in our hotel room listening to the latest episode of Beyond the Bump with my AirPods in. Our son was having a nap. My partner came up to me and started to initiate sex. I went along with it and I thought, oh, I better stop the podcast, but I was so keen to listen to Sophie's pregnancy diaries, and I knew that I wouldn't have time to finish it once my son woke up. So I kept listening while we did it. Later on, my partner realized I had earpods in, asked if I'd have been listening the whole time. I said yes. He said that he felt deeply upset that I was more interested in listening to a podcast than being intimate with him. I tried to explain that Beyond the Bump is my favorite podcast, and I was I was so excited to hear about Sophie's pregnancy and find out the sex of the baby that I had to keep listening but he didn't understand okay
0: a few things <laughs> women can multitask yeah we really so think she didn't enjoy we're it really good at multitasking <laughs> she's up there listening and then she's down there doing it that yeah. is fantastic we would never ever say that this is rude anytime someone says anything, that gives any podcast praise.
1: It is <laughs> fucking fabulous. Our ego is too big. <laughs> fabulous. No, okay. Roles are switched. Yes. You realise after you've finished having sex with Harry that he's been listening to a podcast. I would be so gutted. I would be so <laughs> upset. I would not speak to him. I would I be would mortified. Be so I'd say take your fucking AirPods and, and jack up. off yeah. with it. Yeah. Like I'd be like... Don't, oh, I would be so angry. If he did that. So I understand why he's upset. But the thing is, what
0: Harry listens to is like boring. I shouldn't say that. He listens to history. Like it would be the. War. I don't think I it matters with, what you're listening somebody's to. Somebody's had sex and we've been in their ears <laughs> at the same time. Did you come faster? Yeah. And whose voice made you more horny? Yeah. Was it Sophie's or mine?
1: I love that you're listening to a podcast of me crying, saying I'm depressed and vomiting while like getting off at the same time. The other thing I want to know is how disconnected was your partner to not notice the <laughs> yeah, earpods in, in your ear? Yeah. It would have been even better if they were the old school headphones with the cord these? <laughs> or our recording <laughs> headphones. Anyway, look, I think this is a rude and a fabulous. I would be deeply offended if my partner did this to me but I also think it's fabulous that we didn't know that we were having a foursome with <laughs> you high five for yes. our first foursome Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, let's get into today's episode. We spoke to the beautiful Beth Ryan. She runs an incredible Instagram page called Birth With Beth. She is a midwife. Oh, try and say Birth With Beth 10 times. <laughs> birth With Beth, Birth With Beth. Wow. Yeah, it doesn't work. And we got her on to chat all about the different models of care because it's something that you've all said that you're a bit confused about. What do you get in public? What do you get in private? Do I need a private midwife, etc, etc? So Every, we got your questions answered. Yeah, all the questions
0: are answered, and this genuinely—I listened to this while well, I was in the episode, but <laughs> I listened back to the the edit of this episode, and I thought to myself. When I was first pregnant, this is exactly what I needed to listen to to purely understand where to go after peeing on that stick. So we really
1: hope I listened to it and I was like, no wonder people are so freaking confused. It's insane,
0: isn't it? So we hope you enjoy. Beth is an absolute delight. And yeah.
1: Hi Beth, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. For those of our listeners who haven't come across you before, are you able to tell us a little bit about yourself and I guess why we're talking about what we are today?
2: Yeah, well, thank you for having me. My name's Beth and I'm a registered midwife based in Melbourne. I predominantly work in the public setting, but I do have experience working in private models of care as well. And on top of my midwife role, I run a childbirth education business that is aimed at getting you all prepared and excited and ready for giving birth and the postpartum period. So today we're chatting about the different, we call it models of care, which is basically just a way of saying the way that you get your pregnancy care. So in Australia, there's lots of different ways that you can receive care and it can be a little bit tricky to know the differences and and navigate where to go and who's going to be the best fit for you. So we're going to unpack that a bit today.
1: Yeah, and we have actually got this question so many times before and I feel like I have the privilege of coming from a family who have obstetricians in it, so I've kind of always known what the options are, but so many people are like it's like it's under lock and key what the different options are and you go and see your GP and they ask you what you've chosen and you're like I don't even know what there is or how they differ or anything like that. So you've just
0: found out you're pregnant what do you do first? Yeah.
2: So if you did a home pregnancy test or you were, you know, you've missed your period and you suspect you're pregnant, the best thing to do is book an appointment with your GP and just say, look, I've done a home pregnancy test. I'd Firstly, I'd like to confirm that I am indeed pregnant and they will run some blood tests. And then that appointment is also just about getting some baseline blood tests done to check basic things like your iron levels, screening for any infections that need to be addressed and having it, that will be the first time you have a chat about models of care. And ultimately what happens is your GP runs a bunch of baseline tests They'll offer you the opportunity to do something called first trimester screening, which is just an umbrella term for a whole bunch of different tests that screen for things like trisomy, so Down syndrome and things like that. And that's you can do as many or as or none of those tests as you like. It's a choice. And they'll also organize something called a dating scan, particularly if you're unsure about your cycle. So we want to get a clear idea of confirming that you're pregnant, doing some baseline tests to make sure that you're well and healthy and address anything that is a red flag, offering you some additional screening and making sure that you have um, referrals for your first few ultrasounds. When we get those results back, then your GP will usually have a follow up phone call or appointment. They'll go over everything with you and then they actually write you a referral letter to the model of care that you've chosen. Sometimes your GP will guide you. Lots of people say, Oh, I just went to this doctor because my GP wrote out a letter and said, Oh, this is a great doctor in your area. Others might ask you, you know, did you want to go public or private? And I guess that's what we're talking about today is understanding what are they asking me? what Like, what are they trying yeah. to say? And then once we've got all that information, you'll get a referral to your chosen care provider. And then unless you're returning to your GP, then your care kind of like gets shifted onto that chosen care provider. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Sure
1: now we're going you know, to, there's, there's more models of care than just public or private, but we'll start off there because I think, you know, a lot of people are like, how do I choose? What am I getting for the money I'm spending? What am I spending? So, so what are the main differences between private care versus public care in pregnancy? Yeah,
2: so the main difference in public is that you would attend, the, generally speaking, your local hospital that offers maternity services And depending on what is happening for you in your pregnancy, you would either see midwives or doctors. And the key difference is that it's a different care provider each time or clinician, I should say. So, for example, if I was getting public care and I was a low risk mum, I might just turn up to the pregnancy clinic on a Wednesday and whoever the midwife was running that day would pick up my file, they would do my appointment and then I might see someone different the next month when I came. So you may or may not know the person that is with you in birth and and labor. I guess the key difference with private obstetrics in particular is that you get to choose your doctor and that there's a level of continuity of care um, and they would usually deliver you in like a private setting. So private hospitals where you'd have your own room and then they would follow up with you postpartum as well. So that's the, the key difference is the known care provider.
1: And do a lot of public hospitals nowadays, like, can you stay in your own room or do you mainly gear up to be sharing a room with people? So
2: most public hospitals have both private and shared rooms. And generally speaking, the private rooms, not always, but say if there's three private rooms on a 20 bed ward, they might be reserved for maybe mums and dads who baby's just gone to special care unexpectedly, or there's something really complex going on with their care. So just because you, even if you hold private health insurance in a public hospital, you can't always just be like, oh, I want to pay an up, like upgrade to that room because Bed flow is kind of always a consideration and there might be lots of different cases going on and and the midwives and doctors or the ward managers are shuffling that accordingly, if that makes sense. So you might get lucky and it's just that the private room was free and they pop you in there. It's not necessarily because you've got something going on, but then like we often have people be like, I saw that room was empty, like why can't I go into it? And you can't (laughs) be like, oh, look, actually there's a mum downstairs whose baby's just been whisked off. To the NICU, and um, you know, if we cannot have her sharing next to a mum whose baby is going to be crying,
0: yeah. And it's also the influx of how many people are going to give birth that day or week? Because in one in three kids that I've given birth to, I had one room to myself, and it was it was lovely, and it was actually a room that had like six beds in it. It was just me in it, but the other two times it was like
2: tough titties you're sharing exactly so sometimes and for example if there's like lots of double rooms and it's not a super busy week then of course we're going to try to spread you out and give you that opportunity to have space but we sometimes like the beds just (laughs) fill, and we're like oh my gosh must be a full moon what is happening so I think I would say gear up to share have that as your baseline expectation if you're in the public setting you can do things like pack an eye mask, pack some earplugs, have your partner come in during the day and take Bobby so you can nap. Like there's ways to make it a bit more pleasant. And then if you do get a private room, great, you know, enjoy it, but definitely don't have that expectation in the public system.
1: And you mentioned before, if you hold private health insurance, but you're in a public hospital, why would you do that?
2: Yeah, so it's really hospital dependent. Some hospitals will encourage you to use your private health insurance because they get payment, like the private health insurer will will pay them. So some public hospitals might have one ward, for example, of private rooms, and they say, hey, like, even if you've birthed publicly, did you want to use your private health insurance to pay a bit extra for a private room? But I think, again, like, this is what's so frustrating, why it's so hard to find information. It's so hospital dependent, state dependent, and um, there's no, like, clear, you know, this happens for everyone and this doesn't. I guess it's a good time to say a
1: few people wrote in saying, you know, I live very rurally, there are no options. So obviously, not every area is going to have all the options we speak about. This is just saying what options are out there in general. Yeah. What's
0: the ballpark figure on the public versus private if you were going to go with either of these?
2: Yeah. So, care in the public system, if you see a bulk bill GP at the beginning, and you just do the basic level of pathology, so blood tests and ultrasounds that are offered, you might be able to get through pregnancy without seeing one bill for care. Usually there's a maybe, I would put aside maybe two, $300 for like, for example, your first trimester screening, that can cost money. And there's under that umbrella, there's different, some are really expensive, some are a little bit cheaper, but realistically you might not see a bill at all. So that's obviously massive. And that's why 70% of Australian families will birth in the public system.
0: We live in a really, really good bloody country.
2: Yeah. And one of the key differences, is that in the private system, so ballpark, again, it's so hard to, to determine just because private obstetricians are free to sort of set their own fee above the Medicare schedule. Um, and then they have overheads like room rental and paying for their insurance and all of that kind of thing. So obviously, there's significant costs involved. And it's going to be anywhere between sort of 2500 all the way up to sort of twenty grand to birth with a private doctor in Australia. Obviously, a portion of that is covered by private health, but there is almost always going to be a gap fee because not everything is covered by your private health insurance. so.
1: And I think that's where people get surprised is they go, you know, because there's the private health insurance as its own thing. And if someone is really wanting to go private and you have private health insurance, make sure you check that you also have obstetric cover because you can have private health insurance and not have obstetric cover. And you have to have had the obstetric cover for 12 months before you're covered. So obviously that could be like... Like, you know, you have it for three months and then you can see, but then you have to hope that you deliver it full term so that then when you're delivering your 12 months down the track, if that makes sense. But I think another thing people are surprised by is they're like, cool, I have private health, I have obstetric cover. Now paying for that is gonna cover everything. But like if I'm speaking from my own personal situation, like I had a morphology scan yesterday that was through a private like women's ultrasound place. They only do obstetric and gyne-type ultrasounds. Like that was $250. My NIP test was $400-something. And then seeing an obstetrician, like it depends, as you said, where you live, who they are, what they charge, but like can start anywhere from, yeah, as you said, $3,000 and up. And the health, the private health more covers
2: your hospital stay, isn't that right? Yeah. So they don't actually, your private health insurance doesn't actually cover outpatient care. So that is all of your antenatal appointments you will get a bill for. Pathology, so every blood test that you need, ultrasounds are all considered external to that private health cover. What you're paying for with that is more like, the fee of being in the hospital and some private obstetricians will even have a birth attendance fee, like an on-call fee that is also not covered. And then things like your anaesthetist fee is not covered. So if you, choose, if you decide you want an epidural or if you end up needing an unplanned cesarean section, that's an additional cost. And then one of the big ones that is really, I think, hard for a lot of families is that your little one, so you, neonatal care is not covered so if your little one needs an unexpected admission to the special care unit they are not covered by that policy and you will just need to pay out of pocket for anything that they need so that might if you have health insurance you are aren't you no so a baby being admitted is like a separate thing
1: because I was told my my private health fund that my baby fits under my name until they're three months old and then I only have to get so maybe check with your fund because I remember towards the end of my pregnancy I was just like oh what happens if I think it was for Goldie what happens if she's born and then like we go home and a couple of weeks later she has to be readmitted and they said she's still like a part of me for the first three months
2: okay that's really reassuring so yeah some reading to prepare for this and I read that the neonatal care is separate, so that can be an external cost and so maybe it's a provider thing.
0: I think what everyone is sitting here asking and thinking is how much does Dr Timmy cost to have
1: <laughs> as their obstetrician? Are you paying for flights there and back as yeah, well? Yeah,
2: yeah. want um, to have a long labour just to allow for that on-call period, like he needs notice, <laughs> he needs to provide.
1: But I will also say another expense is that, So. Private health insurance has always covered my whole hospital stay, but you do have to often pay an excess too, which for me Wait. was about $500 to be admitted to Can hospital.
0: Can I just say, but- as a 25 year old woman that finds out they're pregnant, <coughs> me, working an average job, I had private health. And this is before I found out I was pregnant, I had my appendix removed. And I couldn't believe how much I had to pay in excess because I had an admission fee, an anesthetist fee. I had all these freaking fees flying out everywhere and it took me so long to pay off. And I'm like, what is the point of having private health? I mean, obviously there are so many bloody benefits, but for me in that situation, totally. it did not weigh up. And for me, and our situation, we continued then pregnancy after pregnancy to just go down the public route because we felt very fortunate in where we live. Our hospitals, our doctors are brilliant. So for us, the public side worked really, really well.
2: Yeah. And I think you've touched on something really important there is that because in every other facet of life, generally you get what you pay for. So there is this kind of underlying assumption that, oh, private care is going to be better care. And that's not necessarily the case. Like we have an amazing maternity system in Australia. There is, you know, obviously nothing's perfect. I know that our health systems are under stress and all of that kind of stuff. But the private system isn't free from those stresses either. You know, they have to staff their wards. They have the same kind of challenges. So I guess if you're listening to this and thinking like, wow, it sounds really expensive, but I always pictured myself going through the private and I don't want to kind of compromise and go through the public. You need to know that the public system offers amazing care and actually statistically you are less likely to experience some outcomes like increased intervention and that kind of thing through the public system as well. So there's pros and cons. We're so fortunate to have both systems there to support us and I wouldn't, like you said, Jade, if it's not feasible for you to to pay this or if you can like just afford it and there's no margin for like if you needed that you know maybe if your little one did get admitted and there was an extra cost or you needed to stay a few extra nights if that's going to create a huge strain on you in your postpartum season or your first year of parenthood don't discount the public system like the public system is amazing and there's We're going to get to it, but there's lots of different models of care within the public model of care. So
1: if you don't have private health insurance, you could choose to go private. You would just need to know that all these things that could happen can lead to
2: more expenses. Correct. You would need to make sure that you're ready to pay some big bills outright.
0: All right. So let's just say we've decided to go private. How would you suggest going about finding a private obstetrician that's right for you?
2: Yeah. So I guess the first thing to think about is, I mean, there's lots of things, but thinking about what kind of things are important to you, what sort of birth you are hoping for, what sort of care is going to make you feel really safe. And then I would usually suggest starting a bit of a book in with a couple, like talk to your friends, talk, maybe jump on like a local community page and see what people are saying about various doctors and then maybe narrow it down to one or two or three and think I'm going to book in a consult and just have a chat with them and say like, look, this is my pregnancy goals, or this is what's really important to us. How does that align with your practice? And it doesn't have to be like, you don't have to go in with like a really clear, like, you know, I want to do X, Y, Z. Job interview. (laughs) (laughs) But you just want to have like a chat with them. You know, this is the person that's going to be supporting you through your pregnancy outside of the cost. Like it's a Vibe thing, right? Like, you want to just be like, Mm. oh, like we vibe with this person, you know, made my partner feel really comfortable. I can picture them there at our birth. Whereas you might sit down across from someone and feel like the rapport is just not there, like they're, you know, we're just not vibing or they're a bit dismissive of some things that I've raised. So that's what I would do first. And they're used to it, right? Private obstetricians, like are used to that kind of process. They want to find clients that they align with as well. And then, like we said, you would need to make sure about all of your private health coverage is also aligning. And then have a chat to them also about where they have admitting rights, because say, if you... If you're like, I really want a water birth and I just picture myself in the water and the pool and they're like, I'm super happy to support you to do that. That's great. But I birth at this specific hospital and they don't have pools or they don't have baths. Then, it, you know, there's an extra layer of consideration to know if you're going to be a good fit.
1: Or the hospital's like 55 minutes away from your house and there's one at 20 minutes that you would rather birth at or whatever. I love this question. If you're considered moderate to high
2: risk, is it better to go private? To be honest, if I was moderate or high risk, I'd want to be in a public setting. Oh. Yeah, I know. That often surprises people. But the public settings are generally better resourced for complex cases. So private hospitals are sometimes standalone and they're smaller centres. And so they may or may not have things like 24-hour theatre staff, blood banks on site, like all of those extra Right. that if you knew that you had something quite complex going on, I would personally want to be somewhere that had all of those extra services, like they had an ICU, they have a neonatal ICU, so that, you know, there's no risk of having to be transferred out. That said, like, obviously, there's some comfort that comes with having a known doctor throughout a moderately or high risk pregnancy, because you want someone who knows your care, um, sorry, who knows your case. But I think just purely based on a services perspective, I'd probably opt for public care and you would see doctors at the hospital.
1: And I think it depends on you personally. Like, I feel like if it was for me and it was a high risk, like for me in terms of pregnancy, I'd almost be like, oh, I want to see the same person every time if I can. But maybe if it was like a risk that was to the baby, I would be like, well, it's really important to me to deliver somewhere that there's a NICU right there. And I know there'll be like a pediatrician in the building when I deliver or something like that. Like you You've just got to kind of, Feel it out. as you say, work out what they have at the hospital you're delivering at.
0: Is it true that private doctors also deliver
2: in public hospitals? Correct, sometimes. So that's another thing to. So basically you could do what both Sophie and I are suggesting. You could connect with a doctor that you're like, I feel really safe with you, but I would really love to birth in a setting or like know that I'm going to be admitted to a setting where everything we need potentially is at our fingertips. And you can say, do you have admitting rights to this big public hospital? And lots of doctors will, because a lot of private obstetricians also work as consultants in the public setting so they might say look yes you're my private patient but I want to deliver you in this setting because you know this is where we've got everything at our fingertips so if you are someone with risk factors or even if you're just someone that Needs that extra reassurance, have the conversation and just be like, you know, if we were in this public hospital, in this private hospital and XYZ happened, what would that look like? Because if they turn around and say, we would have to transfer you, like call an ambulance and transfer you to the public center, you might say, well, you know, can we just go there from the beginning? So there's sometimes a bit of fluidity in the way that the private obstetricians work, they might have admitting rights at some of those big hospitals. But again, it's just so individual that it's going to warrant a conversation to understand what that might look like.
1: Wow. And do you normally see a midwife at
2: all in the if you go private? Sometimes again, I, so I feel like all I'm saying is like, just sometimes just <laughs> the doctor. Well, that's the case.
1: That's why people find this so really hard enough. to find information because it's so
2: different. Yes, it is so differing. So many private obstetricians will have a practice midwife who might do some of their They won't always do appointments for you, but they might do some education. They might be linked in to support you postpartum. Sometimes they do work as a partnership and and have that collaborative approach where you might see the doctor some weeks and the midwife others. And then there will be private obstetricians who don't have midwives working with them and they will just see you for all of your appointments. So in the private system, because each doctor is free to run their practice as they wish, there is just so much variety and it's going to, yeah, like I keep saying, it's going to require you to identify a couple of people you might want to work with. Go armed with a bunch of questions like, will I see a midwife? Where will I actually give birth? What would that mean if my baby was sick? And then really nut out, you know, is this the best model of care for me?
0: Now, if you were thinking of going public, there are different choices. There's a practice called midwifery group practice. Mm -hmm. Can you explain a little bit about this and how many people can get into this?
2: Yeah, so midwifery group practice is when it's a continuity of midwifery care model, which means that you are allocated usually one to two midwives that you get to know throughout pregnancy, they provide your pregnancy care and then are on call for your birth. And then typically give up to sort of generally two weeks of postpartum care in the home after you've birthed in the public system. It kind of gets nicknamed like the gold standard of care because it's the <laughs> public system. So you're still not paying anything, but you have a known care provider who knows your case is on call for you and is going to come and give you care in your home afterwards. And it is associated with really wonderful outcomes because you've got one or two people who you're building a relationship with. They're giving you lots of education and preparation in the lead up to your birth. They're able to understand your sort of like goals and values, just like that continuity of care always offers you. And then they're able to support you in those really fresh postpartum weeks, Unfortunately, despite the growing and enormous body of evidence to say, like, women love this, families benefit from it, the outcomes are fantastic, the funding is not great. And so while most hospitals do offer it, there might be incredibly limited space. So Mm. I worked in an MGP for every um, seven women who applied, one got in.
1: Wow. Wow. Because yeah. I feel like I'd never really even heard of it before and now all of a sudden it's like every friend that gets pregnant is like, who do I have to, like, bribe to get on this program? Is it new or nah, just some hospitals outrageous. are just, like, because it's not, it's not
2: available everywhere, is it? Look, so there's lots of directives now from, like, New South Wales Health or Queensland Health or Vic Health because of the evidence to support it. Most hospitals on paper have to offer it. That's um, becoming more and more implemented, but some... So, like some services simply can't. You know, if you're super, super rural and you've got three midwives and two doctors servicing the entire, you know, region, it's probably not going to be an offer. But it is becoming increasingly popular because word is getting out and families are like, we had this amazing experience. We didn't see one bill. We felt so held and supported. And, you know, like, you should try to get on. And then people are going to their GPs being like, how do I get on the MGP? Yeah, do you have any tips for our listeners? I get this DM all the time. <laughs> my death, how do I get onto a caseload program? So look, there's no secret source to getting this done. It's just usually what will happen is you will either let your GP know and they will send a referral. Some hospitals have a direct like phone line or email line that you will email to put yourself on a wait list. And then other hospitals, it's not until you attend your first appointment, you've verbalised like I've heard there's an MGP I want to get on. They will put you on a wait list and then those families And women are triaged. So you have to be, because your care is predominantly midwife led, you do need to be low risk because that's our scope of practice. So if you have, you know, complications, then you won't get on the program. There's a whole bunch of criteria to get on and off, but it's, there's nothing, there's no real hacks that you can do to like ensure your place. The one thing I will say is if you previously have had like significant birth trauma or you've had something not clinically complex, like medically complex, but there is, you know, something that indicates that you would really benefit from continuity of care. Sometimes your um, GP will flag this for you in the referral letter and that might be taken into consideration, but it just comes down to resourcing. So, you know, like write a letter to your MP if you have a great experience. It sounds, I know it's like the last thing you want to do when you've got a two-week-old baby, but like the more we can kind of say, you know, we want more people to have access to this potentially. See more spots open.
0: I remember when I was 25 and I was in Melbourne and I gave birth at the Royal Women's Hospital. And I was sitting in the waiting room, had no idea about anything to do with the midwifery program, who was seeing who, what was going on. But after a few visits, I was sitting there and I started to work out like the, the colour coding and the numbering of when people would walk in. And then I I started googling and I started understanding like what this care was so whenever I walked even if I rocked up early someone would walk in with this program and they'd sit down and then they'd walk in in front of me and I would literally be like (laughs) <laughs> and she'd just walk on by and I ever since that moment was like how do I get into that goal I'm star? pretty sure if
1: you say BTB when you call up you jump five places <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you've got to you've got a terms and conditions of yeah. but how when do you generally start seeing your midwife or midwives?
2: So that's just one model of care in the public system that we talked about. The other option... It's rare, so get over it. (laughs) Yeah, well, look, hopefully not not too rare for some, but if you weren't on that program, generally you would go through a midwife clinic and the first appointment you have, so even though it's midwife-led, that's when we just... Whoever's on shift that day will pick up your file and take you through like you experienced, Jade. And typically the first appointment, which is known as a booking in visit, takes place anywhere between 14 to 16, sometimes 18 weeks. Um, and I know that COVID has significantly shifted the face-to-face options for some hospitals but generally we'll see you in that sort of 14 to 16 week window and at that visit that is when we get your medical history we have a chat to you about your past births flag anything in that package from the the GP, the referral letters and, and scans and everything. And then if you're still low risk, then you'll continue to see midwives. And if we highlight some complex things going on, then you might get allocated into like a high risk pregnancy clinic model of care, which is when it's a little bit more collaborative. You'll still see midwives, but there's also doctors regularly involved in your care. It's like when you
0: start feeling important, like you get this card, like this yellow card, and they're like, okay, your GP's like, all right, now you're off, and, you know, every two weeks you're going to see this person and that person you're like, all right, everybody cares, it's good, all right. Because
1: I guess that would be one significant difference between public and private is generally in private you would start seeing your obstetrician during the first trimester, whereas in public it's generally a bit further down the track.
2: Correct, and that can create quite a bit of angst, but I guess if you're listening, feel reassured that while you're not receiving hospital-based care, in your first trimester, you have still had a GP appointment. You've usually had two ultrasounds, a whole bunch of blood tests. I think sometimes because we're not allocated a care provider yet and we're feeling a bit like lost, you think, oh my gosh, is anyone even keeping an eye on me? But those little checkpoints are actually considered part of your pregnancy care. And, you know, so feel reassured that like there is eyes on you, there are health professionals involved. And then once you get to the hospital point that's when you'll meet the midwives they'll do a booking in visit they'll usually give you like an information package about the hospital and start kind of getting you thinking about some education topics and like you said jade that's when you're like oh okay i'm in i'm <laughs> i'm not just like floating through my first trimester hmm. alone but just back to the mgp
1: program the midwifery that midwifery group program legit, for a second mgp that's what it's known as i know but yeah that sounds legit. um i think one thing that some people love and one thing that some people are scared of is that if everything goes well, you get sent home after four to six hours. I'm only like 14 weeks and Nick and I are already dreaming about the three or four night hospital stay. Hang on, this is just private, public, right? Not just midwifery, it's just private, Uh, sorry, public in general. Well, no, I think with midwifery, they'd send you home so earlier than in public. But, yeah, Nick and I are already like, oh, my God, I can't wait for those three or four nights where it's just us and the newborn baby yeah. <laughs>
2: and the other kids are looked after by someone else. Yeah. So in the public system when you're not under MGP, a, a quick turnaround is normal, just like 24 to 48 hours is the standard just simply from back to what I said earlier, bed flow, we've, you know, got to move people through getting even more specific with the mgp when you have a known midwife or team of a small team of midwives caring for you they might actually encourage you to go home from the birth center so from the place that you've given birth 4 to 6 hours after you've given birth and i used to have this conversation with couples and they used to look at me like are you absolutely bonkers like i've just had a baby but what we find is that two things hospital wards in the public setting are busy you might be looking at going into a room with two, three other mums. That means other babies. That means other visitors. You've got people coming in and out to check your blood pressure, to do your baby's heart rate, all of these busy, busy things while you're trying to recover from birth. Now in the midwife group practice, because you've got these midwives that know you, that have that relationship with you, they continue your care, but they do that in the home. So it's not that you're being discharged from care. You're just being encouraged to go home if you and your baby are well and there's a really strict criteria like we would not let anyone walk out the door if we thought you know there's something a little bit off we'd be saying stay let us keep a really close eye on you but if you and your baby are really well we actually find that people love it they go home they sleep in their own bed they eat their own food and they get way more rest and recovery Mm. with one midwife coming to their home the caveat to that is is that parents of multiple children. Let me stay. I would rather lie next to this lady with a newborn than go home to my toddler. And you can always advocate for that and just say, look, it's chaos at home. If you can, so say if you're a third time mum in an MGP and you know that that's on the cards, if you can call on family support to say, hey, like on the day I give birth, I'm actually going to come home. And if you could maybe take the toddler to have a sleep at grandma's house so Mm. that I can rest in our own bed. And then when we're feeling a little bit ready, you bring the toddler home. Like you have to have those conversations, but certainly Sophie, like, I totally get that in the private system where you're like, but I have the promise of my own room away from my like loud, boisterous children. Why would I be going home to that?
1: Well, after having Goldie, it was like a holiday because I'd already learnt to breastfeed. Like after having Poppy, my first, obviously the midwives came in heaps because every time I breastfed they would come and, you know, offer advice and make sure I was doing it properly, whereas the second time they were kind of like, you buzz us if you have any issues. And it was like a holiday. Like Nick was reading a book and we actually left a night early and I remember a couple of weeks later, like we were so keen to get home and I remember a couple of weeks later being like, why did we do that? Give me that night back. But I do also understand the appeal of getting into your own bed like – the food is just hang on nick cut me off the bacon on the brekkie tray because my farts were something else he's like (laughs) that is not good for you he's like i will go out and get you anything you require if you stay away from those like microwave scrambled eggs and floppy bacon
0: hey can we talk about this has been happening like Just for the past few years, I feel, but I don't know what this magical unicorn like place is. People with private health care end up checking out of the hospital and going to a five star hotel, and then they get people coming up to the hotel and they're like living their best life. What is that care?
1: Where can we get
0: it and do you have to be pregnant or give birth to have it? It's a sneaky
1: by the hospitals because it actually costs less. So there's like private hospitals and they're aligned with certain hotels and there's midwives who work at the hotels, but it's cheaper for the hospital to send you to stay at, for example, the Versace where some people stay on the Gold Coast and have a midwife there if needed, than it is for you to stay in the hospital. So the parents love it because they're getting sent to a hotel, but the hospitals love it because they're saving money by doing that.
2: Yeah. Wow. And also I think like as beautiful as that sounds, Be cautious of like that luring you in and thinking like, I'm going to have this phenomenal, like I get to go to a hotel because remember what we talked about at the beginning of this episode, like there's stacks and stacks of hidden costs. So sometimes I hear people be like, yeah, but then like it's just such a beautiful way to start your pregnancy. But remember, like if you're strapped for cash or if you think that that might put pressure on you, you could spend like a quarter, you could go public, and then hire a night nanny or have like someone, mm. you know, you could book yourself into like a stunning Airbnb or book yourself into a hotel with some extra support, like a lactation consultant. So sometimes like it sounds phenomenal, but we've got to remember that it's like, like we said, it's it's benefiting the hospital and there might be other ways that you can get like a beautiful experience that don't include stretching can I give you my
0: dream scenario? Yeah. Okay. My dream scenario is I would probably still go public and I would try and get into the midwifery program. That'd be nice. But if I didn't get it, I'd be like, you know, that's fine. I know what to do. And then I would tell every single person I would have a baby shower because it would be my last. And I would say, don't buy one thing. If everyone can save up and get me, A doula,
1: a postpartum doula, or one for the postpartum
0: doula. That would be an absolute game changer for my mental health. For like, if I actually, because I am too scared to be pregnant again and have another baby, and my husband's had a vasectomy, so all of that won't happen unless I find another man and we, you know, have kids. Which, Chris Hemsworth, if you're listening, (laughs) come at me. But if that was the case, the doula is the only saving grace. When we had Charlotte the doula on, the peace and satisfaction she gave in security of how I would feel coming home to someone nurturing me, because everyone's always doting about your baby, but someone actually genuinely looking after your mental, physical, emotional health, that is worth every bloody cent. Yeah, and that's
2: exactly like that. You've touched on a really great way maybe of looking at an additional lens that you might want to apply to your model of care. If that is really important to you and you're comfortable going through the public and knowing that you're going to get great care and that, you know, statistically you're going to have less intervention and all of that. But you still want to kind of cushion yourself with some nice things like that hotel sounds dreamy, like who wouldn't want to do that? But you don't want to go down the private route and you've got a bit of money to spend. You can spend it on things like a postpartum doula, filling your freezer with like amazing food deliveries that are periodic for quite a while. You might want to have some pregnancy massages because gosh, when you're breastfeeding, how sore is your neck and back and all of that and see a pelvic health physio. And you might want to do all of these extra things. And that's how you spend your money rather than going down the private route and like finishing that experience with bills that you kind of can't pay. So there's lots of different ways to look at your pregnancy care and beyond just like private obstetrician, public hospital. Mm. You might go public, but cushion yourself with all these extra services. And
1: I guess, as you say, don't let the thought process stop at the day of birth or the day of discharge from hospital. Like if you're looking at your funds as a whole, they can be used beyond that point if those things are important to you. Exactly.
2: So rather than looking at like, I've got money to spend on like a doctor or not a doctor, you might look at like all the things that you might need or want, or it might be like, you go public, but then you treat yourself to a cleaner for months and you have like all of these food delivered and you have a cleaner and you're like, great, that made such a huge difference to me. Whereas maybe the, the private stay would have been nice for a couple of days, but longevity wise, it might not have served you in the same way. So if you've got money for it all, amazing, like go, go hard. But if you are trying to figure out the best way to spend your budget, I would say, think outside the box a little bit and really think about what's important to you.
1: A question we got a lot about the public side of things is quite a few people wrote in saying that they really wanted an elective caesarean because for whatever reason they didn't want to give birth vaginally and they asked is that an option to have one if it's not indicated for medical reasons?
2: Not as commonly which is a really hard thing for a lot of people coming through the public system and I, I do understand that. I think it's usually down to resourcing like the resources involved in having a prior, uh, in a planned cesarean section are really different to a labor and a birth like a vaginal birth and you know those resources in the public system are finite and so they will try to i guess reserve those resources for medically indicated surgeries that is something i would say to have a think about when you're choosing between a private Mm. institution or a public. If you know that it is really important to you that you have that control and you want to say, hey, I don't want to do labor. I I don't want to have a vagina birth. I feel really strongly about a cesarean birth. Then yes, like if it's within your financial reach, then private is going to be a great fit for you because you can have that conversation and you'll you can make that plan. Similarly, like on the flip side, if you are someone that's like, I really wanna birth a really hands-off approach. I don't want any extra ultrasounds. I really wanna have a completely physiological experience then trying to find a midwife group practice or even a private midwife is going to be the right fit for you. Because not to say that a private obstetrician wouldn't be able to support that, they obviously would. But statistically, we know that it's less likely to happen in that model of care. So yeah, like thinking about what you might like, it is hard for families who would really prefer to have an elective C-section. But can't access that care. I really do think that that's a hard thing. And I would encourage you, if it's for reasons like increased anxiety, you feel traumatized from a previous birth experience, have that conversation in the public setting. You never know. Sometimes they will be able to accommodate that, and sometimes they might steer you towards other options.
1: Speaking of birth trauma, we actually spoke to Leah Williams quite a while ago and she was speaking about how in one of her births, she had quite significant birth trauma and had PTSD afterwards. And that was in the public hospital that based on where she lived, she was zoned to. And when she got pregnant again, she was really worried about having to give birth there again. And she just wanted to raise awareness about the fact that she actually ended up birthing at a different public hospital that she wasn't zoned to but was still relatively close to her because she feels like a lot of people think that if they're zoned to a hospital they're like trapped kind of to go there. And so I remember when we spoke to her, she's like, that's something I want women to know that sometimes, you know, and it may not happen every time, you can kind of advocate for yourself and say, I really don't feel comfortable birthing at where I'm zoned, I want to birth somewhere else.
2: Absolutely. Like voice that from day one to your GP and just say, I had a really awful experience. I can't imagine welcoming my baby in that setting again. I feel quite anxious about it. What can we do? They will step you through um, the options. And I would say if they say no, nothing, I would see another GP and voice that again and just say, look, how can you support me to find somewhere that is the right fit? Because no one should have to go through that. If you feel traumatised by your previous experience, of course you don't want to go back and birth there again. So
0: some people have sent in a few questions. One of them is if you're wanting a back, is there a certain, is it root or route?
1: <laughs> I think in Australia it's root. Isn't I it? always say
0: route. Say route, that's fine. Now let's say route. Is there a certain route that is best? <laughs> See, it sort of
2: fits. Again, it's not clear cut. Statistically, you are more likely to achieve the VBAC in a public setting under midwife care. But I guess I don't want to say those blanket statements because there are lots of doctors as well in the private system who are really supportive of VBAC. So statistically speaking, going down a public path where you have lots of care with midwives is more, you're more likely to have that successful VBAC but actually if you have your heart set on having maybe it's the same doctor that you went through or you just feel more comfortable in the private setting I think it's just about having a clear conversation with whoever you're choosing and just having a direct chat and saying what are your VBAC rates like what percentage of people who come through you have a successful VBAC what kind of timelines would you be encouraging me to birth within you know if this happened in my labor what how would you manage that? And just getting, I actually have a post on this on my Instagram, just digging a bit deeper and just like not into, I guess interviewing viewing them and understanding their true position on VBAC so that you know, is this, care provider really going to support me to have every chance of birthing vaginally? Or are they kind of ticking a box and being like, yeah, 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 we do VBAC, all good, all good. And then when push comes to shove, they're like, mm. nah, like you should be an established labor that by now, like you've got to have an epidural and all of these things that can really, I guess. Pressure. Yeah, it's pressure and it can prevent things from unfolding. So like, I don't want to sit here and be like, this is the best way to go or that way is the best way to go in any aspect of pregnancy. Because It always comes back to what aligns with you and what feels right and what's within your reach financially and in in terms of location and all of that kind of stuff.
1: And another one that was interesting because I think people are confused by this is if they have IVF, do they then I mean you don't need to stay with anyone but then but then do you continue to see the same obstetrician afterwards like should you continue privately if you've done IVF for
2: You can and lots of doctors will offer that continuity but for some people the outlay of IVF is you know, huge financially and then they want to move into the public system and that's completely fine as well.
1: And some IVF doctors actually don't do obstetrics Correct. as well. So Yeah, that's so point. they might
2: refer you to a colleague and you stay private or you just go, great, like, so exciting, we're pregnant, we're going to pick a different model of care.
1: Now where does a doula fit into the birthing room and are they generally, quote, unquote, allowed in all birth. Because how many people can you have in
0: your birth suite?
2: Let's not think about COVID. What month are we in? (laughs) Yeah, let's not think about COVID normally. Normally pre-pandemic chaos it was as many as you wanted. So whatever the the mum or birthing person felt comfortable with, whatever was going to make them feel happy and held, that is the number of people we've I've been in birth rooms are literally like every auntie grandma oh, bless their hearts has it it's pretty stunning it's weird to think about now that we've been so strict for a couple of years. I know but I have been in birth rooms where there is literally a group of women supporting this mum to birth her baby so there's actually no limit if you were to have a cesarean section it does get a little bit trickier just because theatre is a you know, it's a sterile environment. It's a bit of a busier place. So they might limit to more like one or two, but in terms of a doula's role and where they fit in. So they, a doula is a non-medical support person. So they don't actually, if we're talking about models of care, seeing a doula and having a doula involved is not a model of care in itself because it's not a health service, but it is a additional support service that you have someone to advocate for you to Emotionally support you, whether that's in birth or postpartum. And they would just come with you into the birth space like your partner would or like your mum would. They're a support person and it's completely your choice normally outside of the (laughs) pandemic when they come and go. We did have obviously like a little bit of a patch where we had single support people only. I believe in most hospitals across Australia, that has now been lifted and that doulas would very much be welcomed into the birth space.
0: How do midwives feel about doulas and doulas about midwives? Because I know sometimes when you're in a birth suite, like doctors have issues with like the midwives, midwives have issues with them and the nurses come in and I know everyone has their own job. So they're all doing, you know, the best they can. But in regards to a doula,
2: how, how does everyone go? Yeah, look, I know like it can get a bit contentious in the birth space because people come with different perspectives. Mm. My personal approach is like always comes back to respectful collaboration. I feel quite strongly that we all have different knowledge and skills with a shared end goal and that we need to acknowledge that There are things that doctors can do that I can't do. And there are many scenarios in which I am incredibly grateful that the doctor is there and that we can work together. The same is true for the doctor, that they will look at me and be like, and, you know, I need you to do that. I don't know how to do that. Let's work together. And doulas, while they're not part of the medical team or the midwifery team, it should be an extension of that. And provided that they are remaining within their scope, which is purely should just be support and advocacy then there should never be an issue. The only time that I have had to have a conversation with a doula and just say, look, this is really inappropriate, is when the doula is stepping over the line and providing medical advice saying, don't do what the doctor is saying. Don't listen to the midwife. That is rare. I do not find that that is common at all. But sometimes in the birth space and in in a birth or in a neonatal setting, There are things happening really quickly and doctors and midwives are 10 steps ahead and we're trying to prevent things from happening and that is why there are recommendations being made and it's really important that whether you're going to say yes or no to those recommendations, I feel quite strongly that it's important to come with open ears and to hear the reasons why things are being recommended and some of the risks involved in not taking on the recommendations whether you say yes or no, after you've had an informed discussion of choice, I find it sometimes the strain can come if a support person, whether that's, you know, a mum, dad, doula, is being obstructive to those conversations taking place.
1: Yeah. And I guess, as you said, that can be true, you know, with a partner, as you said, with a mother, with a mother-in-law. And I
2: I also should say that like most of the time having that extra support is stunning and Mm. We work beautifully with doulas because it actually sometimes can free the midwife up to do the more clinical jobs Mm. because sometimes it is hard as a midwife. You're trying to provide support, reassure mum, you're okay, everything's all right, listening to the baby's heart rate, documenting it, talking to your medical, like, Um, yeah yeah there's a lot going on and sometimes when you look over and there's a doula who has a trusted relationship with that mum and she's in her ear giving her back rubs you're like great like mum is held mum is safe I can just quickly do this paperwork so most of the time it's a beautiful dynamic and the only time it would ever get stressful is if there's that breach of scope
1: And then so we've touched on doulas. Where does a private midwife fit in if Mm. you're birthing in a hospital?
2: So a private midwife is someone who's not employed by a hospital. They run their own private practice and are free to take on a caseload. If you wanted to go through private midwifery, it's going to cost you anywhere between sort of two to $5,000. And again, Medicare and your private health insurance may cover a portion of those costs. And then it might also just depend on some of the external costs like pathology and ultrasounds that we've already discussed. Most private midwives will work in a home birth setting. So you would see them in the community, either in the home or at their practice, and then they would equip you to birth at home. If you were hoping to birth in a hospital with a private midwife, one of two things is going to happen. Either the hospital will allow them to have admitting rights, and this isn't super common, but some big hospitals or some local hospitals will say, yes, we're happy to view you as being on staff, and if you need to transfer someone in or if you want to support someone to birth here, then you're free to do so.
1: That's if they're having a home birth, like aiming for a home birth. Some will, so
2: it could be both. So some, it could right. be that you've aimed to have a home birth. A complication has arisen. There's a clear reason that you need to transfer in any birth at the hospital. Some hospitals will allow that midwife to be seen as a member of staff. And once they come in, they can continue being your clinician. Other times it's going to be that once the decision is made to transfer into the hospital, the midwife, the private midwife needs to relinquish control as the care provider and become a support person. And that's all about insurance and employer agreements and that kind of thing.
0: What is the benefit of
2: having a private midwife? Yeah. So I guess we've talked a little bit about the benefits of being in a continuity model and getting to know your care provider, whether that's a private doctor or a private midwife or an MGP midwife. The research is really strong in the corner of private midwifery in terms of really low rates of things like emergency caesarean birth, episiotomy, postpartum hemorrhage. Basically, if there's a chance for complication in pregnancy, it's going to be a really low chance of that occurring under private midwifery. The research is really supportive of that for low risk populations, I should say. So not everyone is appropriate for private midwife care. Obviously, as midwives, we have a scope of practice and we're skilled and trained in caring for healthy women and healthy babies in healthy pregnancies. And they basically, yeah, the research just reflects that you've got a much lower chance of needing things like instrumental birth, a much lower chance of having significant perineal trauma, um, a lower chance of your baby being admitted to special care, higher breastfeeding uptake. And overall, most people, the vast, vast majority of people who go through private midwifery care have a great experience. Like the, the there's a lot of positive feedback about what it's like to be cared for by a known midwife, what it's like to be able to birth in your own environment if that is important to you. Now, a lot of people are probably listening, being like, that sounds magical. Like I'd love my own midwife, but I have no interest in birthing at home, which is fun. Mm -hmm. So some private midwives will say, that's okay, we can provide your pregnancy care and we can support you in the hospital system and then see you as a private patient after or a private woman after. So again, it's going to come down to having a chat with whoever's offering that service in your area. And yeah, I think that it's an out-of-pocket cost, but it is significantly less than a private obstetrician. And like I've kind of been saying throughout this chat, It's all about what your birth goals are. So if you are someone that feels really strongly about a relatively hands-off experience, you are passionate about physiological birth, you are not super keen to birth within the hospital system, then yeah, like a private midwife and a home birth is going to suit you really, really well. And then the only additional costs you would need to consider are things like you usually have to hire a birth pool. But that is generally open to like I said, low-risk mums who are open to birthing at home.
1: I think we've covered the main models of care. I mean, as we said at the start, there's always going to be maybe extra options in some places and not as many options in other places, but these seem to be the main, you know, models that came up and the main questions that came up. And really getting to the end of that chat, you were so clear, but no wonder women, when Mm. they wee on the stick and find (laughs) out they're pregnant, are like, where the bloody hell do I start? Because like it's amazing that there's kind of an option for everyone in our country and i guess an accessible option for most people no matter where you sit financially at the time that that's amazing um but it does mean that there's so many different choices to be made
2: yeah it can certainly be confusing so i hope that that has cleared up a few questions and you feel reassured that no matter what, we are so lucky in Australia that you will find a fit for you and hopefully one that makes you feel really supported and heard and excited to meet your baby.
0: Well, Beth, thank you so much for coming on today. We really appreciate it. And I'm sure our listeners do too. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review.
1: If you didn't, good on you.